Uh, should we just start? Yes. All right. Um, hi, Cal. Hi, Tim. <laughs> how are you? I'm okay. How are you? I'm all right. Why are uh, we always laughing when we say hello? I don't know. It's almost like a miracle <laughs> that we've managed to get this far to press record. <laughs> you know what, I mean? what a schmozzle. We are a schmozzle. We're the schmozzle brothers. <laughs> So this is episode four of the Screen Feeder podcast, which we have imaginatively yeah, titled. The ending goes forever. Bam. There it I is. I actually started thinking about it while you were saying it ah, instead nice. of just like spur of the moment. This week, um, we're doing our third album, Fill Yourself With Music, and both Kelly and I, well, you're right here. I'll talk as if you're here. I'm both, here. Both- Tim, I'm here, Tim. I'm with you. <laughs> Both you and I were approaching this record like, oh my God, this is the weird album and it's going to be so strange to revisit it. And we both listened to it last night. What was your initial sort of reaction? It's funny. I listened to it this morning with headphones on in bed, drinking coffee. And and I'd been in my thoughts because I just did an interview about Kitten Licks the other day. And um, I could never, whenever we were referring to this record, I couldn't remember the name of it. And um it occupies a blank space, like it's a bubble I can't refer to. Like, I think I've blacked it out. It sounds like you have. <laughs> but so listening to it, uh, I was very surprised. I knew that it was, we approached it really weirdly, like re- like production-wise. Mm-hmm. But I kind of forgot how bass-heavy it is, how loud the drums are, how tiny the guitars are. And that's the one thing I did remember was that they were often panned hard left and right yeah. and just not there or yeah. like your vocals are really quiet. But it's like this chugging bass sound, which I'm like, wow. When I listened to it, I was thrilled with the bass and drum sound. Like yeah. the drums sound amazing. They're loud and crisp and dynamic and the yeah. bass sounds amazing too. Yeah. I, was, I was really pleased actually. Yeah. But I was like, where are the guitars? And also I was thinking because the drums are so loud, it really accentuates how quiet the guitars are. So if they were a little bit quieter, it might have sounded a little bit more balanced potentially. But um, still, I mean, it sounds great. It's just different. And I remember, yeah, yeah, when it was released, I think a lot of people were like a bit taken aback. Oh, hugely. Like the difference between Burn Out Your Name and Philly Self Music is stark for sure. Yeah, and it wasn't that long between the two either. It's not like there was a big break in between. it was like two years. Yeah, it was like the next record. So it's funny, normally bands have the difficult second album, but I think most people potentially thought that Burn Out Your Name was our first record and this was our difficult second yeah. album. We even got a we even got a sort of it wasn't a directly negative review, but it was an a review sort of being a bit like what's going on with you guys in hot metal, remember? <laughs> it was like good album but where's the guitars or something like that. Yeah, and that sums it up. Yeah. Uh, it's funny because you mentioned to me just before we started, we caught a bus down to Sydney to mm. record. I've forgotten about that, but it's true. Um, I didn't own a guitar at the time. Like I'd smashed my guitars <laughs> and um, I borrowed some guitars off Wayne. I didn't take an amp because we were traveling on the bus. So I just used borrowed gear for the whole thing. I borrowed an amp and also some guitars from Simon from the Hummingbirds oh, as that's well. that's right. Yeah. So it was kind of, we kind of went in way less organized than we would have done for our previous two albums, like really on the fly, like this will be okay, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. I think that we had been listening to a lot of fairly, I'm going to use the word experimental in inverted commas, uh, experimental in the sense of like flaming lips, um, guided by voices, like stuff that's not hi-fi, potentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, just a bit kooky, I guess. We're listening to a lot of Sebado as well. Yeah, I think the main two influences were definitely really early Flaming Lips and Sebado, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I am lucky that I keep a diary because uh-huh. I didn't know that you didn't have any of your own gear, but we had to hire some stuff in for me as well. Like I, the whole first day, um, none of the bass tracks were kept because the gear was shit. Oh, wow. Like there was a problem with the speaker. Okay. It was very stressful and Wayne had to get another speaker in. But also I had a, my Black Squire jazz bass uh-huh. and I ended up using Wayne's Fender Precision oh, wow. bass. So it okay. wasn't even my own bass, which is pretty weird for me. Yeah. I've never recorded with someone else's bass before. So yeah, 
Yeah. So it was December 94. Mm. We caught the bus from Brisbane to Sydney to record at and Paradise so Studios. Paradise Studios in, Kings, in Cross. Kings Cross. But let's just start with that. That is weird that we took a bus. It is weird. I've no idea why we did. Why did we take a bus? Maybe I didn't own my van anymore. Well, Who knows? I mean, why didn't we just fly? It was just pre-flying being a totally everyday option for everyone in Australia. Yeah, it was right. at that point where ANSET was still the airline and it was just too expensive probably. Potentially I'd never flown at this point as well. We'd oh, flown to Perth. We'd yeah. actually also done pavement. Yes. So we yeah. were flying around then. Oh, pavement was another huge It was. That was definitely influence. another one. Yeah. yeah. And things for me like Slint and... Yeah, Bitch um, Magnet. Yeah, Seam especially. Yeah. I was listening to a lot of Seam and I can hear seam Me too. in some of the bass lines yeah. and stuff and sounds. So we had Heinz from Not From There um, hanging around quite a bit and he recorded guitar on I think at least made two songs, Made of Stone, maybe Become Undone as well. Yeah, and Mike Squire. Mike Squire played harmonica on um, Sweet Little Oranges. Yeah, and there's another song Is too. It Numb? Numb or, at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Um, also... I've made notes and there's photos that Alison from Smudge popped in and uh-huh. Jeremy from Hot Metal was in there for a visit. There was lots going on in Sydney too. So like you and I played a gig that we went to. We had dinner with Magic Dirt. Wow. Uh, there was like Fur and Tumbleweed playing. Off uh-huh. The Fur Girls popped in. Right. It was a crazy time. And also reading in my diary as well, like I think, what set everything off feeling weird for me was the trip down because you were with Mickey and Tony and I were sitting together right. and he slept the entire way down on me. Like he had his head on my shoulder yeah. the entire time and it was like we were not in a good place right. either. So there was a lot of friction yeah. going on and um, I did not have a great recording session right. either. Yeah. So, yeah. I remember... I don't remember that specifically. I do remember that, well, from my point of view, the session was quite fun. And I do remember several moments where we, where the music was just really taking us and we just loved the music and we had some lovely moments uh, all recording in the room together and things like that, especially the end. Do you remember the last night? I think we were, well, it must have been the last night before we started mixing. We recorded um, the last song on the record. Brand New Love. Oh, we recorded... um Ugh. Lost All Trace. Yeah, Lost All Trace. And Brand New Love, yeah. the Sebado song, which we put out on a B-side. And we, it was really late at night. We were all just sitting in the main room together. Tony was tapping on the drums super light. I was just strumming an acoustic guitar sitting on the floor. We had the vocal mics in front of us. You were playing like tambourine or yeah, something? Yeah, I think I was playing tambo. At and first it, I thought I was playing the drums because the drums are that really yeah, <laughs> laid back, but yeah. no, it's not. And Wayne was just like, let's dim the lights. I think we had some wine, yep. at least some wine. There was um, definitely wine. And we just summoned up a, a real little vibe that night, remember? Yeah, I do remember that. And it was really lovely. And you listen to the songs, like those two tracks. My vocals are very shaky. Yeah, but <laughs> They've got something, though. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing I really noticed about this record is the vulnerability that yeah. you're allowing your voice to yeah. show. Um, but listening to um, Lost All Trace... If you listen to it on headphones, you can hear the door opening. Yeah, that's right. And piece of paper rustling yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, and there was friction and stuff, but it was a really great time. Like it was a really fun session because mm. it was like existing in this space. I think we were there for two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Like when you say we weren't really prepared or it was... Oh, look, I mean that in terms of probably gear and like the very, very fine intricacies of the yeah. songs, but we were well rehearsed and we, yeah. we knew all the tracks and, you know, that that side of it was all sewn up. Yeah, so I was super prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew everything back to front and that is something that we talked about um, with um, Five Rooms is that when you're super prepared... It allows you more time to be more creative. Yeah, exactly. So we did have a lot of time to be yeah, creative. Yeah, yeah, And there's things like we brought in a real timpani drum for Bad Time to Be Leaving <laughs> Town, right. remember? So it's like oh real legit timpani on there. <laughs> and there's a legit piano player yeah. on there as well. Yeah. So the songs as a set, even though they're super different from anything we've done before, they kind of hang together as a set, right? The album's cohesive in a way, but there's all these super sad songs and then this fucking crazy, happy, Mm. fill yourself with music song, which it stands out like not in a great way for me. Sure. Um, It's funny because like 
audio and production wise, the influences we just cited, like Flaming Lips, uh, things like that, are very, very apparent. Mm -hmm. Songwriting wise, it basically sounds like me and Tony sitting around Warmington Street with an acoustic guitar. Like that's what it sounds like. And that's really where most of the songs came from. Yeah. With a few exceptions, like say Lost in the Snow, which was an earlier song. And also Made of Stone. I remember when we were touring Europe, you had come up with the little guitar uh, riff Mm -hmm. and then we would sound check and I'd start playing along with my little bass thing and that song kind of grew from that, Yeah, right? But um, yeah, the rest of the songs, there's a definite time and place associated to that for us, Mm. not for anybody else, I I don't suppose. (laughs) The people who were involved in it. Perhaps and they're not it. from their guys because they were always over at the house. Yeah. And this is back in the days when like six o'clock would come and everyone would cram into that miniature little front room and watch The Simpsons and stuff. <laughs> do you remember? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, wow. That's hilarious. Yeah. It was a time and a place, that's for sure. Mm, it really sounds like it in the record, too. Yeah. I guess in a way the songs sound like a band who are really confident in what they're doing, despite perhaps they're not all the most amazing songs in the world. It sounds like we're very free and we're feeling good about just whatever we're doing. I think that it sounds like a band that are all those things, but also like, fuck it, let's just do whatever we want. Yeah. And Wayne was very into the idea of being experimental in the studio and not following like traditional ways yeah. of recording. Let's backtrack a tiny bit. So we recorded with Wayne Connolly. He's oh, yeah. a fairly big time Aussie producer, especially the early 90s indie rock stuff, right? Yeah. So yeah, he was, um, that was the first time we'd met him really. And uh, he was amazing to work with, really chilled, really good at being experimental and on the fly and creative yeah. in the studio. Had some great suggestions for us. And yeah, he, he was like anything goes, wasn't he? Yeah. I think there was a lot of talk about the Beatles mm-hmm. um, and their early sessions with the, the hard panning of the guitars yeah. and the hard panning of the vocals as well. So if you were listening to this record on a broken stereo yeah. and you had only one speaker working, you missed half the record. I remember when we mixed, like we mixed straight away in the same session over probably four days, did all 15 or 16 songs or whatever it was. And basically I'd sit up at the desk and I'd go, how should we pan this one? And I'd just like adjusted all the panning knobs and put the guitars over one side, the bass over the other, whatever, and turn around to Wayne and you go, yeah, cool. And he'd just <laughs> do the final touches. And the mixes were so quick. Like, you can hear yeah. it. The mixes are mega basic and stripped yeah. back and easy. But it was great fun. And, you know, most of the mixing elements stand up. There are a few songs where you think, oh, shit, the vocal's too low. You, you really miss what's going on there. Or, you know, some guitar might be missing or some guitar might be way too loud or something. But it's kind of adds to the charm now. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about the artwork on the album. Sure. The cover, you've got it. I've got it. So I remember I found that picture right? because I hadn't been involved in the writing. I was feeling like I needed to be more involved. So mm-hmm. I was trawling op shops for books and magazines and stuff. And I found that photo of these people who um, were on a roller coaster ride from like the 50s and um, thought that it kind of was like it needed to speak to like fill yourself with music, the song, being happy, but then everything else about it is like there's a plane exploding in the background. So it's kind of got to speak to the really sad, desperate nature of all the other songs. So that's the cover. Yeah. And a Brizzy artist, well, a Brizzy at the time, now Melbourne, Carl Breitker has sort of assembled it for us, put it all together. And uh, really the artwork's fairly minimal. That's all there is. And on the inner sleeve, there's a weird little colour photograph of us in Hale Street in Brisbane, taken by Darren Hawthorne, I'm pretty sure. I think so, yeah. And the back cover is another retro photo, which was uh, perhaps inverted or treated in some way. Yeah, that was from, um, like, I found all of these magazines, like photography magazines. And also um, the back cover of Kitten Licks was actually from one of those magazines as well, the cat with the shadow. Uh, But also there's a photo on the The disc, disc, which is our phone. Yeah, at Warmington Street. I didn't live in that house at the same time as you, but I lived there after you did. That's right. Um, So all of us had lived in that house at some point. 41 Warmington Street. 41 Warmington Street still is there. And um, I used to live around the corner on Inogra Terrace and I'd walk down every day and hang out. We had some good times in that house. That house was so (laughs) much fun. We had a ping pong table in the back. Yeah. And um, we took all the photos for yourself for music in the backyard. Anyway, yeah, one of those classic share houses in Brisbane. Lots of great memories. For sure. 
so what else do we need to say to sort of set the context and set up the sort of picture of what happened around approaching this album? Anything? After we did Burn Out Your Name, mm-hmm. we started writing new songs. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess you've already covered that, like you and Tony sitting around with an acoustic guitar doing like pop songs. Yeah. So I guess the first song must have been Lost in the Snow because that was out already on, on an EP, Felicitator. And that sort of does kind of sit in with all the Burn Out Your Name stuff as well. Yeah, it's like a bridging song almost. It is, yeah, totally a bridging yeah. song. Um, are we ready to go song by song or should yeah. we blabber on a bit more? I don't know. Well, I mean, we blabber on about each song anyway, so yeah. let's, let's I think the it. song by song might be good because um, <clears throat> for a change, like listening back to this record, I could kind of remember what most of them are about and I remember okay. things like that because for me that's not always the case. I think a lot of these songs are way more literal. So, yeah, that's okay. Cool. So, um, so track one is Lost in the Snow. This is, uh, yeah, as I said, kind of a bit of a bridging song, especially with the guitar sounds and the tuning between this and uh, Bernati Name. Uh, it's actually about Who's Could Do breaking up, remember? Yeah, I do. And the line Lost in the Snow, I think on the liner notes of Warehouse Songs and Stories, the last Who's Could Do album, there's a little paragraph by Bob Mould. And the, the last line is this, it's, it's like a poem, isn't it? The last line it's is, open the door, got lost in the snow. And so really that's like literally the last word you heard from Who's Could Do. Yeah. And that happened in 87, I'm pretty sure they broke up. Oh, wow. So this was, um, yeah, just a bit of a, a reflection on that, I guess. Played it live because it's a really fun song to play yeah. live, and we've kept it in the set off and on for the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, you would always, uh, you know, dedicate it to a band that we knew who was like on the brink. Oh, okay. like, I remember dedicating it to Magic Dirt on more than a few occasions. Mm-hmm. It's a real rocking out song. Like, yeah, for me, it's really fun. Yeah, it's a good one. I like it. Yeah. On headphones, the mix. It's like, it's. Bass driven. Yeah. There's guitars often to the right hand side, and then every so often, up front on the left hand side is the big guitar riff yeah. coming in. It's yeah. fucking weird, <laughs> but it's good. It's I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but like if we made this record now, it would definitely it be definitely not treated wouldn't have like the this. crazy ass dynamics and just yeah. the wacky, you know, mixing approach, which is but, you know, something I love the, about it. You yeah, know? same. It's the '90s. It mm-hmm. was kind of like do whatever. Yeah. Okay, so track two is? My Dad's Hands. My Dad's Hands? <laughs> My Dad's Hands. Your Dad's Hands. Dad's Hands? <laughs> Don't confuse it. <laughs> uh. my, my Dad's Hands. What's your reaction hearing it? Uh, heavy drums. Yeah, they're <laughs> like, amazing. They're very big and um, the bass sounds so great. Yeah, it does. It's like, it's perfect to me. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you know what it reminds me of? Like your harmonies in a mm. lot of the songs on this as well, but this one in particular. Super Chunk. Super Chunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you know I was going to say that? Because it's really, really obvious. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I wish I like I, I'm really happy with my vocals in general on this album. Like mm. as soon as I put it on last night, I was like, oh shit, my singing actually improved in the interim between the last album. I like it now, and I like most of my backing vocals and my harmonies. I wish I paid a bit more attention and got them a bit better. Like they're a little all over the place, but you know, it no, is that's what it good is. though. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, <laughs> yeah, Mac. But it's it's a pumping song. Like it's pretty upbeat, and you know, yeah, 
And it's literal, right? So yeah, really literal. Yeah. What What took you to be looking back at your family sort of DNA? Um, well, it was literally like I looked at my hands one day and I was like, they look like my dad's hands. That was all it was, yeah, right. really. So and, it wasn't um, like a philosophical kind of... No, but it, of course, gave rise to the idea of inheriting traits from, you, you know, your parents or down through the family line, yeah. for sure. You hadn't had a child at this point, though, had you? No, I hadn't. No. But you were just about to get married? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So maybe that was on your mind. <laughs> maybe, yeah. But it was, um, you know, it's funny because um, when you get to a certain age, somewhere in your 20s, usually you you connect with your parents suddenly on a very different way and yeah. you suddenly go oh they're these people who aren't these know-all see-all wise adults they're just like me they're just a, a kid in, a, in an older body basically yeah and you grow up thinking that they know everything but they know nothing they don't know anything yeah and they may not have been right <laughs> about <laughs> they were just bluffing it the whole time yeah <laughs> um yeah, lead breaks. There's lead breaks in this song. There's so much lead guitar on this album. I think I was like a little Dinosaur Junior influence. Yeah. And often, you know what? A lot of the lead on this record actually sucks and it's shit compared to the lead on Burn Out Your Name, definitely. Oh. I, like it wasn't planned. It was all just really random lead and it sounded like mostly one take where bum notes didn't matter and it was all a little unthought of. And a lot of the lead doesn't hit the mark as in terms of give anything melodically or tension wise it just sort of fills in some space Next song is Sweet Little Oranges. So yeah, I actually referenced the Flaming Lips twice in yeah, that song. Yeah, so like, about... Even on the opening line. Yeah. And I'm just uh, I'm just looking up on my phone as we're speaking, like the early Flaming Lips albums that we were right into at the time. Priest-driven ambulance. In a priest-driven ambulance, transmissions from the satellite. Yeah, heart, I love that. And there's one called Hit to Death in the Future Head. So this yes. is all ninety two, ninety three. Yeah. And their stuff was real wild and crazy and kind yeah. of like very. Very trippy almost. Not like their new stuff. A little acid rock almost or something. Yeah, it's trippy. Yeah, it's really cool. And uh, we were totally taken with it, of course. It was awesome. So the song that I was more or less subconsciously or semi-consciously emulating on this, do you remember that fantastic album that came out called No Alternative? Yes. In about 1993. It's an amazing compilation. It's got like Nirvana on it and Pavement, Bob Mole, The Breeders. Yeah. It's got some amazing songs on it. And it's a Buffalo Tom song called For All to See. And it's like really Mm. fast, upbeat, mega poppy. And I was really pretty much emulating that, you know, the fast Mm. thing. And... uh, this song's kind of cool. Like, I'd love to play it these days, but it's in a very high key for me and it's just hard to do. It's so complicated as well. I mean, you know, it sounds like a simple pop song, but there's like 8,000 fucking chord changes. Yeah, right. It's like really complicated Sorry. for my poor little brain. Sorry, Kelly's brain. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> it's a song almost which, like, it was out as a single, a double A side single with Who's Counting. And it's a song that if we'd paid a bit more attention to, it could have really been a bit more. Uh, single worthy you know because like really on the album you listen through and there's no really killer singles in inverted columns you know what I mean the thing that we always did was we're either going for the obvious this is a poppy song for a single or putting out the one that's not the poppy one for the single because we didn't want to be too obvious so whichever way we went we were always shooting ourselves in the foot somehow and shock were very kind and patient with us you know they were happy to put out you know the double a side of sweet little oranges and who's counting after doing the philly self music single as well yeah do you remember um when sweet little oranges came out <laughs> had a scratch and sniff <laughs> yeah it had like an orange oil flavored thing on the yeah, cd so color you just like, yeah i don't know if it worked but it worked really briefly you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> it smelled really <laughs> it nice cool. for a bit 
else about that one? Um, There's a little bit about the box of matches inside you, which mm-hmm. I stole from the film uh, and the book, like Water for Chocolate, mm-hmm. big sort of uh, mid-90s, uh, almost not cult, but very, very popular yeah. sort of uh, book. The lyrics in this are really great, and you have a lot of them in this song. I don't know how you even get them into the verses. I guess they're short lines. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. You like it? Bad time to be leaving town. Yeah. The timpani's pretty great. The timpani's great. There's so much I love about this song. Same. I love the I love the singing, like I did good. I love the words. Um, mm-hmm. I love I love the power of when it kicks in. Mm-hmm. I love the quiet part, even though the mix is it's so quiet that you really have to lean in or turn it up to hear the quiet part. But the dynamics are cool. The only major gripe I have with the song is the arrangement just gets too cluttered later on. There's this weird fast bit that kind of is a bit shit and shouldn't mm-hmm. really be there, you know. And I think if it was stripped down. It would be closer to, say, a song like Broken Ladder, which really focuses on just the good parts and doesn't muck around trying to be anything it isn't, and it would be a way better song. But, you know, there is a lot I like about it. Even though it does have that faster bit, the da-na-na-na-na-na-na-na-na thing, it could have been a bit more concise, and then it would have probably had, like, a real, like, punch to the throat. Yeah. So I hear so many things in this song, of mm. all the things that we love to listen to. There's that moment... The codeine moment. Yeah, there's that a codeine strum. moment. Yeah. It goes from loud to quiet and there's this strum and it's just like, oh my God, that that is actually codeine. Yeah. <laughs> um, the bass line, oh wow, like I love this bass line. And like we don't play this song and we haven't played it for a really, really, really long time, but oh my God. Can we like talk about some of the lyrics? Uh, sure, I'll throw it over to you. Here oh go. no, have I got to read them out again? Okay, can't rearrange it all. I move the lamp against the poster on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) That thing that you're getting with your voice, you're really, um, you know, just allowing us. It's like, oh. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) It's just that thing about vulnerability. Like, you've got to be very confident to be that vulnerable, which is a real strange thing to say, but to allow yourself to be breaking up like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so can't rearrange it all. I move the lamp against the poster on the wall. These little words mean things I can't recall. They echo down the hall. So there's some halls recalls. That's, but they're good words. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Um, one by one, my defenses go down. You picked a bad time to be leaving town. Roads of clothes to vehicles. So this is the part that I love. It really takes off right. in this Right, I think part. I got that from some radio broadcast or news broadcast or something. Yeah, I love it. It really, it's opening up your painting of Vista kind of thing. Roads are closed to vehicles going west. Information isn't flowing the best. These small words, they seem to be a test. I hope I can guess the rest. Never bothered to pretend I knew. Now I'm relying on them to get me through. Highway lights burn out and fall, leaving dark holes formed. Found my life was just a cold and closed off road. Lines are torn, severing words from lips I can no longer warm. I try to kid myself that I can make it home. Can't create it all, communication is impossible. These small words are all I can recall. Can't kid myself, I will survive it all. Bleak. Fuck, it's pretty... Yeah, so it's not literal. You weren't, like, stuck somewhere trying to, I don't know. It's almost weird because you know how you get, like, a picture in your mind if you go somewhere or you listen to a certain song? I've got this picture of this dark, expansive highway between Brisbane and Toowoomba Mm. with the lots of lights out and it's just mega dark and just there's the occasional light and it's kind of stormy weather and there's radio warnings and things. That's what I've got in my mind from that. Oh, I love it because I think I was asking you the last time about, like, what pictures are in your Mm. mind when you... Because, like, I get that. I see visuals for songs or create worlds or something. Right. Mm.
Right. Yeah, it's um, it sort of almost marks this sort of pause center point of the album for me. It's beautiful. It's um a really beautiful song, and um. Yeah, it's like it's kind of unexpected that your vocal comes in really loud, to be honest, because it's really quiet, and then mm. you're actually it's the loudest vocal you've got. I think it works good though compared yeah. to compared to something like Bad Times to Be Living Town, where you're going, what, where's the vocal? You know? Yeah. Um, I love the drum because the drums are sparse, but yeah. they come in strong, and the bass yeah. comes in strong, and it's this lovely melodic thing. Uh, yeah, I think we kind of nailed that song actually. Yeah, song's nailed. Um, the piano was by, as we said, that guy, the engineer, Chef Tony. Tony, I've no idea what his actual real name is. No, but he only known as Chef Tony yeah. on the credits as well. And um, it was a song I wrote when I was living, do you remember my flat in 102 Rockbourne Terrace downstairs? Yes. So I wrote it there and I was stoned and I just was like, I'm going to write a real simple song with two chords and it's just DNA, I think. And the second verse I remember, I was watching my cat, Mitty, remember my cat? Oh, Mitty. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, she was just farting around the lounge room just being stupid. And yeah. I, that's where I got the line, I know I'm being silly and I know I'm playing games. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's so cute. Yeah. Um, the thing I remember about Rockbourne Terrace, there's mm. a couple of things. Um, you getting being really drunk one night and pissing on your phone. Yeah, I did. <laughs> but the funny thing is, telling us. <laughs> I know that you pissed on your phone and I think it's hilarious. I did it in the middle of the night when I was like stumbling around yeah not I didn't like come home and just go, go <laughs> I'm gonna to piss on, on my phone, phone. <laughs> fuck you phone take that yeah. <laughs> got up in the morning and like the phone didn't work and I was like the hell's the phone not working <laughs> I was like trying to make the phone call for about five minutes and then I was suddenly like holy fuck I've got this weird memory from the middle of the night and I was like Holy Jesus! If there's a tea towel flung outside over the balcony on the on the grass, something crazy happened. I looked and there was. <laughs> when we were talking about this song, I was like, "I've got this horrible feeling." Kel's going to bring this up, but oh, whatever. Really? Let's. I'm not going to say anything because she doesn't. I <laughs> oh, no. So I think it's. I mean, did we put the photo of the phone? On the CD no. because of that. <laughs> it's not the same phone though, is it? It might be actually. Remember when remember. you'd move house and you'd take your phone with you and plug <laughs> yeah. it into the wall? I remember we used to go and remember you could go and inspect houses. Like you left the real estate like 50 yeah. bucks and they gave you a key and they said, I'll oh, come back whenever. And yeah. So you went around to an empty house and if there was a phone there or something, you stole it. <laughs> I never did that. I, yeah, did I didn't, not. I didn't do that I didn't, either. I mean, I literally didn't and I think you might have. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> the other thing I remember about Rockbourne Terrace was you and Tony getting dressed up like Urge Overkill. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. You slicked back hair and smoking cigars and stuff. And medallions. And medallions. And dinner jackets. And dinner jackets. Um, that was a funny time. Yeah, we really got into Urge Overkill around this yeah, time Yeah, that too. was around the time when Saturation came out. Yeah, like, right. Right around that period. Wow. Uh, so as always, Kel, you were pretty awesome at diarising through this entire period. What you got? Recording Paradise Studios, Wednesday 7th of December 1994. I started writing this on day three, so this is a bit of a recap. Mm -hmm. We arrived in Sydney Sunday morning, 15 hours in a bus southbound on the New England. No sleep, except for Tony sleeping on me. As soon as we stepped into the taxi to come to the studio, a wave of panic, fear and anxiety swept over me, pure and painful, full of hate. It was bad. I felt so alone and I was scared. This feeling lasted until today, off and on, mostly on. The first day of recording, feeling weird, the speakers Wayne hired for me were fucked and we had to get others. I had bucket loads of tears behind my eyes. I was feeling under pressure and feeling like I had no one to support me. We've got another two speakers and they were cool. Um, we've got about 10 drum tracks down on the first day. I was really tired and cranky. We could only use one bass track I put down. Ended up that all of the bass had to be done again anyway because the sound we got the next day with Wayne's precision was much better than mine with the jazz. I got 10 bass tracks done yesterday and the rest finished by 7pm tonight. Sounds really good. Wayne's on my side about playing style, performance, feel over actual mechanical perfection. That makes me feel a whole lot better. Wayne's a million times over David Price. Way into our style of music, he's a fan of the band, and he's casual, not under any stress. He doesn't kick things, and he likes Sebado. 
I've had good chats with him about Lou Barlow, Palace Brothers and Will Oldham. Uh, While I was doing my bass, I was having a few problems and I was getting very disillusioned by it all. Thinking about dying, leaving the band, getting scared about my life, my future, my ability. I felt like just walking out and saying I hate playing bass and I don't want to do it anymore. But that all changed as soon as I heard Made of Stone. It sounded so beautiful. It was so warm and round and well played. A beautiful bass line and song. Bad Time to Be Leaving Town is fantastic. A sweeping bass line and it made everything seem worthwhile. I walked up to the cross, got out of the studio for a while after I'd done my bass. Um, What's important is the band is all getting along pretty well. There's no tension except a bit over me playing Sweet Little Oranges the way I did. But even that's not a problem. Well, not until the mix down anyway. Um, Yeah. Wow. That's a real little insight, (laughs) isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, like... Um, I'm a thinker and I like I feel things so I'll yeah. just like write down how I'm feeling and all the stuff about being really down and feeling suicidal and um, you know that's kind of just depression I have depression I have to right. admit that and it's it colors everything so whilst I might be in the middle of doing something that's really amazing and fun I might be having some personal struggles mm-hmm. but um, you know I'm this is my inner world. Yeah. So, yeah. I think you were super good at, like, I don't know if you call it managing it, but, like, you were super good at just staying focused on your work and not letting that seep outwards and influence everyone yeah. around you. I mean, it's, this is diary, so this mm. is just me being mm-hmm. completely truthful. I've never read these out loud to anybody. You know, they're very, very personal sort of. So, yes, this is weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, you know, um, that's kind of where I was at and it was a weird time too because like Tony and I were not getting along Mm. and the tension I mentioned there was always a lot of tension and you know it was really hard for me you were with Mickey Mm -hmm. and there are all these people around but I felt very isolated and so whenever there's like someone's partner around it the vibe changes you were like my ally I suppose Mm -hmm. and you were with someone else so it was like for me just a little bit harder because there was just me and Tony then. Yeah. That's why I would have written about Wayne being on my side. Uh-huh. So he was my ally when you weren't sort of there. And I always needed an ally. I guess I'm glad that you, you know, negotiated your way through that, even yeah. just with yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Okay, track six, Numb. Numb. You know what? Straight away hearing it, um, the drums are just amazing. Like, the sound yeah. of them is fantastic. I know Wayne's all about, you know, if you get the snare drum and the vocal right, the song will do itself almost. But this whole sound of the drums are great. Tone's part is fantastic. It's funny because, like, his part is so perfect for the song. Every little accent and every little pullback and every little push forward. I literally remember back in like late 86 when we, me and him started playing music together he basically had two or three beats and that was all we <laughs> needed for the band back then because we were so so basic and we were like that'll do you've got those three beats <laughs> you know? just move them around <laughs> yeah let's go for beat B in the song you know? <laughs> and uh, it's amazing to hear how in such a short time I guess well it's actually seven or eight years but it felt like you know he's made this huge leap of being a very intuitive and very exacting sort of drummer in that time. It sounds amazing. Mm, yeah, the the take is great. Yeah, and you're right. The the drum sounds are like very prominent. Like yeah. it, the, it's a drum album, really, isn't it? In lots of ways. And rightly so, because the drums are you know probably out of well your bass is great too but out of especially over all my playing and singing the, bass, the drums are super accurate and bang on and performed like perfectly well yeah you know. and they wouldn't have been quantized like you do oh, no, nothing, in, um, yeah. so quantizing is when you make everything perfect mm. in like pro tools this was all done to tape yeah and i guess the intuitive thing to do in mixing is to highlight the parts which are done extremely well so it makes the whole song sound really good right yeah 
Um, baseline, I'm going to just say, is great because it's like there's all those places where you do those, I don't know what you call them, like Little a pause and a hook. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, that's just fun. Mm. It's fun to play, especially live. It's Even a very just physical thing to yeah. play, isn't it? You like, your body moves yeah. with it and it's really fun. Um, but, you know, again, the lyrics are super heavy. Yeah, the lyrics are just like total, um, I guess, relationship breakdown, strained communications between people, which is so common in this album. Yeah, but I think what I like about this is like, it's super mundane. Like mm. your lyrics are like, you know, you go into the kitchen yeah. and you're not moping around on your own kind of thing because yeah. like you, the other person's occupying their space and it is very much like just normal business. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, the lead guitar in this song is one of the ones that I was referring to that's sort of a bit like weird and unplanned and it's kind of a bit questionable, but on listening to it, it kind of in a way suits the tense mood of what the song is, so it kind of works in some way. It's like there's two things doing the same thing and then mm. they sort of break apart and become and like... And then it leads into the last verse, which suddenly goes much sweeter because yeah. the last verse chords are sweeter chords yeah. and it sort of sweetens things up towards the end. Yeah, it's a really good song. It's a long song too, actually, it is isn't long. it? Yeah, we weren't afraid of the long song, no, were we? I'm not afraid of the short song either. Yeah. <laughs> song fill yourself with music what about it what do you think about it i think it's weird like it's got some small moments which i enjoy still and a lot of points where i'm like i'm either trying too hard or not trying hard enough in this song like i was desperately trying to write a really upbeat mega hooky summery pop song and I think that largely I failed. Like, there's some good points in it, but the the chords and the ho- and the hooks don't do much, you know. At the end, it's a weird song to me because I don't connect with it, right? Because I find I don't know. I think maybe the way we treated it as a heavy, heavy song, mm. like the heavy bass, and um, maybe it needed to be treated differently. But well, the problem is that the lyrics aren't happy, upbeat lyrics. They're, mm. s- they're sort of saying music can save you and music will save you, but it's not saying I've been saved. Yeah. So there's that angle too. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to be very brutal go, here and go. say I've always thought it was a fairly naff song. Okay, cool. I kind of thought it was too, and then listening to it last night, I was like, well, there's lots of elements of the song which are a bit shit, but I actually don't mind the lyrics still. Like, they kind of, they're kind they okay for me. I'm not cringing at them. There was just always something about it for me. I don't know what it was. I have a feeling that maybe it was because you and Tony sitting in the backyard mm. playing pop songs and writing pop songs on the acoustic guitar and killing Buffalo Tom to yeah. the point where I was not able to listen to Buffalo Tom and Massey Sweet and the Lemon. Yeah, so those things, that, um, they're kind of broke for me. Right. And then this song is all about those things. Right. Okay. Because <laughs> so there's the guys who will make you cry who they start with E and B and M. Yeah. So that's Evan, Bob, and Matthew. Yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember asking you about that. We were driving down on Ogre Terrace. And I was like, what's the E and B and M thing mean? Yeah. So I don't know. It's a clever song. But it's not. To sum up this song, it's just not very good. <laughs> oh, that sucks though. Well, I don't want to okay. say you like, don't you write know, a good song. No one can exclusively write amazing songs. Everyone's got shit songs up their sleeve, you mm. know. Why did we make it the title track of the album and the single? For want of anything better, perhaps. The rest of the album is quite it's not downbeat. A, it's not a singles album, unfortunately. Like, There's not really a standout single on it or, a, or really yeah. a standout song. Like, It's a collection. But anyway, again, we missed out. We missed the target with the singles, put out the wrong songs. Well, in that instance, but there's plenty of times down the track where we've got single after single correct. You know That's what I mean? That's true. Fill yourself with music. Let the good vibrations flow. 
time. There you go. Yeah. Play stuff with music. It is what it is. It is what it is. You've got to just um, take it on the chin. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I will. <laughs> and it's almost like the same goes for the next song, Who's Counting. Like, to me, it's probably one oh. of the... It's, it's weird, because, again, it was a single, but it's one of the weakest songs on the album. It's weak also because of the sounds. Yeah, the mix is pretty shoddy. Yeah, like, like it's not an exciting mix. I'm playing these really beautiful chords mm. and they're very murky. Mm-hmm. It's a humdrum song to me now. You know, yeah. like I certainly don't go to it if I want to hear a, a song of ours that I want to have a good feeling about, you know. Yeah. Like no. it's just so so, you know. Again, it's another song where the lead guitar is terrible and pointless and a waste of space, you know. <laughs> oh, boy. We're being very hard on. This record. It's okay. Like, I think with the benefit of so many years between the record and us now, like, we're okay. It's like, it's good to actually go, that thing sucked, but yet that other thing was okay. Yeah. Mm. All right. Because there's many minute elements in every song which are sweet, like the way that in the middle of Who's Counting, the, the lead guitar part, the, the chords go sweet all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's a nice moment, even though, again, the lead sort of stuffs it up. <laughs> you know what I love about this song? Uh-uh. The last line. Um, there are cracks I could not foretell. I'm tracing them back straight to hell. Yeah. You say straight to hell twice, yes. and it's like I don't, I remember like saying to you, "Yeah, straight to hell." Like I don't know why it was like it's, it doesn't fit anywhere in this song, but then it's like the straight to hell thing. It just kind of pops out of nowhere. Yeah. It's so cool. It's like yeah, okay. It's pretty weird. You're right. It's a good one. <laughs> So next is um, Made of Stone. Uh, This was one that, you're right, when we were touring in Europe in 1993, we'd fuck around with a sound check and play the riff. It's very slow, very sparse, very open, very seam-like again. And I remember exactly where I wrote it. It was December of 93. We'd finished the tour. I went to London and I was staying in my brother's house in Peckham Rye. And it was fucking freezing, so cold, it's horrible. And his room had a heater, so I'd hole up in his room all day while he was at work. And that was where I wrote this song. And, uh, yeah, I was just killing time because I was too, too cold to go outside. <laughs> That's so funny because at the end of that tour, we both went to your yeah, grandmother's place. Right. Um, and your sister was there as mm-hmm. well. And then I left early and I went and stayed at Robin's place in right. London in Peckham Rye and I did the same thing. <laughs> uh, but I listened to Mark Lanigan records right. okay. and I was freezing. I'd yeah. stay in his room all day and then... Um, and do you remember there was a bathroom in the house with a nice big bath and you had to more or less take turns or book, book your bath time in to have a lovely hot bath? <laughs> no, I don't remember that. But I remember there was like, you know, icicles on the window yeah, type thing. Yeah, it was thing. horrible. And... Um, Holy moly. Yeah, it was a shock to the system, right? It was. I've slept and I'm okay. A little more like you each day. You don't fall and I don't write. Anyway, so yeah, um, Made of Stone, we got Heinz, as we said, from Not From There to play some guitar on it. I remember him just like reclining right back on the couch with his telly deluxe and just <laughs> playing his lines, mega cool. Yeah, he was a cool cat. And uh, again, it's a song, again, where Tony's drumming does very little, but it does it super well and mm. very expressively. And I got this real tasty little bass line. Mm. And again, it it's clean yep. until it comes on. And um, yeah, it's a pretty killer song 
again, it's possibly a little long and complicated. Like it could have straightened up and gotten a tiny bit more concise yeah. and well well tailored. You know, I don't know, like a good pair of trousers. Yeah. I reckon like, leave them flared out <laughs> for the time being. Tassels or everywhere tassels, and shit. Yeah. Extra buttons you don't need. Pockets. <laughs> yeah. a, a little side bit for a hammer. <laughs> <laughs> Any old shit, right? Zippers. Anything goes. <laughs> a few cracks or a few rips <laughs> and some mud yep. from when you fell over. <laughs> okay. So we should listen to Made of Stone. So that's made of stone. My tummy keeps rumbling. Can you hear it? I don't think I can I hear it. I hope it's not coming through the microphone. And anyway, next, tummy rumbles aside, is three-way punishment. For me, it's one that might not be super thrilling or hook-laden, but it hangs together as a song really well. Uh, I think it's actually a standout on the album. Yeah, for me, it's I'm pretty happy with it. It's double tick for sure. Double tick? It's like concise. Yeah. Like you nailed all the things that yes. you needed to say in it. Like yeah. lyrically, it's really great. Mm-hmm. And it's really poignant and it's very well articulated all the things it ticks all the lyrical boxes for me and I love the conversation that exists between the guitar and the bass Mm -hmm. like they move in different directions and they're interplaying and Uh yeah all the parts of the song are concise and there's nothing there's uh, no shit in there like the arrangement's nice and tight yeah Yeah. there's no fat to trim it's all about uh, basically looking back on it it's kind of about my mum actually and being brought up with a lot of religious bullshit around you, basically, mm-hmm. and how it can sort of fuck you up and mm-hmm. give you guilt and all this heavy shit that you've got to carry all your life. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty I guess pointless. it's a generational thing. Like, everyone back in that generation probably was shackled with that. Mm. Yeah. I love um, what's religion, what's... What, what are those... Yeah, what's forbidden. It's the root. It's... Oh, can you read it out? Because I love this. What's religion? What's forbidden? It's the pit in which you crawl. It's the room where you were born. Yeah, holy moly, that's heavy. heavy. And very true, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's a sort of shame because all these people, like, in our parents' generation, living their lives with all that going on, and they might not even be aware of it, or it's affecting their lives negatively. And, yeah, it's, it's, you sort of feel bad for them. So we're moving into the final chapter of the record. Mm, the slowdown. The last quarter. The, uh, the lying down, the golden... The golden years. Yeah. <laughs> you got golden ears. Oh, you do. <laughs> um, Become Undone is our little play around tribute to Urge Overkill. <laughs> Don't you think? Yeah, so this, especially these guitar chords yeah. and stuff. Can we just have a listen to sure, it? Sure, let's do it. Might not have seen it. 
So I never capoed anything back then. Oh. Um, I was un- basically unaware of why well, I was aware the capos existed, but I never used them. And, and always I thought, I wish I'd capoed it because I sing it quite low for me, super mm-hmm. low. And it meant that playing it live was hard because I couldn't give it much power. Mm. But listening back, I enjoy the key I'm singing in. It kind mm. of works. It's, it's kind of good, recorded. Uh, I like the lyrics. They're quite mm, tidy they're and great. they get there. The chords, it's a rare song for us in that there's spaces in the lyrics where we let the chords do some shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because often we'll just not have much space or the chords being chordy and doing little riffs is inconsequential or it doesn't really happen much. So mm-hmm. this is quite rare for there to be that much space. Uh, the song's a tiny bit sort of slow and cruisy and bordering on boring, but there's mm. plenty of elements I like about it. I don't think that if a song is a mid-paced song and there's not a lot going on, it means it's boring. I tend to like those songs a lot. Yeah. Um, it's a vibe. That's what it is. I guess uh, the thing about it is, especially now with the rest of the catalogue behind us, listening back to it, it just doesn't sound like a screen feeder song. Um, no, it sounds to me like an Urjovenkill song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good one. I'll give it two ticks. I'll give it a tick and a half, I reckon. <laughs> tick and a half. <laughs> Like, um, a tick and then a little downstroke. Margaret and David from the movie show. Four yes. stars from me. Yeah, yeah. Oh, really, David? <laughs> I praise from you. the last song on the album Lost All Trace this is Tony's song he wrote it more or less exclusively himself I think I might have helped him put you know the last finishing touches or, or whatever to me listening to it it's just all it is is the vibe in that room that we had that night and it was really beautiful I remember only in reading your diaries I remember that I didn't have an easy time with my singing in general mm-hmm. I was very dissatisfied with how it was sounding I wasn't able to give it the uh, a performance slash approach that it needed and I was getting quite frustrated with it and Wayne took me for a walk around the corner we went to a bottle shop and we bought a little bottle of uh, some brandy or something similar and we came back and I just had little sips on this brandy throughout doing the vocals and all of a sudden everything was great and I just relaxed that little bit my throat relaxed a little bit and it made all the difference and I just nailed it. I'm pretty sure I might have done like all my vocals in one night or something yeah right and uh, I was pretty happy with them um, and then I think right at the end of the night we did these two songs so Lost All Trace was one of them it's kind of bordering on indulgent territory like it's this extremely long rambling thing but it's quite sweet and it kind of works pretty well I, I kind of like it for yeah. that reason it's, it's, it is sweet and it is kind of like a real indication of the session in lots of ways mm. um, I love how you can hear the door open it's all roomy yeah, like, it's, it's just room, room sounds yeah. and um yeah, I like it, and the, I actually think it's a pretty good song. Tony's lyrics are sort of naive but great, you know, like yeah. they're super, like, very literal. It's fairly simple, but just really they hit the mark. The thing about the postcard from L.A., I'm pretty sure was from his girlfriend at the time, Lou, who'd yeah. been in L.A., Yeah. and he was just uh, a young songwriter just pushing forward and just doing whatever came. Yeah, it's cool. Like, he hmm. hadn't written many songs before that at all. Oh, maybe three or four. Yeah, yeah. but, yeah, this was a... Yeah, a really good, mm. well-put-together song. But, yeah, it's the vibe of the... You know, for me, I just remember lots of red wine and Valium during mm. this session. It was mm-hmm. very laid back yeah. and um, very relaxed. And I do remember you going for that walk with yeah. Wayne. Yeah. And um, there is stuff that I didn't read from my diary about mm-hmm. your vocals. That okay. There were times during this session um, where we were finding things difficult. So... You know, you might be as prepared as you can be, but you're always going to have those things where you just can't perform right. Yeah. Nothing sounds right. Mm-hmm. You don't feel right. And you've got to just step out and walk away. And and often it's something so small that will just remedy everything. Like yeah. it's just a sort of weird headspace you get in or whatever. Yes. Yeah. You can have all that negative mm. self-talk. But Wayne was so good at those things because I think mm. I went into it a few times. You went into it with your vocals. 
And um, he's just such a calming yeah. influence. Very and I guess nice that's person. a sign of a great producer, someone who can take a potential situation which might slow things down or become problematic and just solve it with barely a breath, you know. It's hard work recording a record. Yeah, it kind of is. And, you know, it sort of swings between being really stressful and slow and hard and then all of a sudden it just flies and you just go, oh, my God, this is the greatest yeah. thing ever, you know. We had discovered the brandy trick in this record and employed it on Kitten Licks. Right. And I remember because I read some of my diary and I was like, um, I was doing my vocals for mm-hmm. Kitten Licks and I got really smashed oh, on wow. the brandy and I had to do them all again <laughs> I think the I remember next day. That, actually. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> uh, so, wow. you know, it, it can work either way. <laughs> yeah. I think when we finished the album, we were very pleased with it and we really thought it was a strong collection of songs. Yeah. And, you know, obviously putting it out into the world, especially trying to follow up Burnout Your Name, it did get a mixed reaction, but whatever, we're kind of the band that just goes, okay, well, what are we going to do next? So yeah. Obviously, next time we're going to talk about Kitten Licks, which is a huge game changer for us and a massively different approach, different band, different everything, right? Yeah. I remember when we got, like, very first mixes of these songs mm-hmm. and um, I hung out with Chris Muller from Midget and mm-hmm. this guy Milo who was in Tweez. I really looked up to them and they played the type of music that I really yeah. liked as well and I was really proud of this record because we did go into territory that was not expected of mm-hmm. us. Yeah, I remember that they really liked it too and it was like, yeah, I felt like we were had done something really great but then, yeah, when it did come out, people were a bit bamboozled. Um, but, you know, fuck them. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. It's all about us. <laughs> yeah, it's all about us. It is, because, like, if you're making music for other people, then, you know, it, it shows you. sometimes, yeah. you know, like, yeah. it's not authentic. So that's Philly Self and Music. There you go. Um, there were a few B-sides which we recorded in the same session. So there was um, Hello There, the Cheap Trick oh, cover. Oh, yeah, that's right. There was Thick and Shitty, which was another <laughs> B-side. We, we played that song heaps, remember? Yeah, we like in did. Europe, we played it every night. It was really fun. And there was that Five Week Karma, and there was perhaps maybe one. Oh, oh Brand oh, New was Love. Brand New Love, yeah, yeah that's the right. cover. So we did like, you know, 16, 18 songs in the session. So it was a busy time. Yeah. And like, what? so it was recorded and mixed all in the one session again. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And it was um, back in the days when, do you remember gourmet pizza was a really new thing? And there was a <laughs> shop down on William Street which sold this amazing pizzas like, you know, it might have had chicken and pumpkin and pine nuts on it or wow. something. And we just were like, every night we looked at each other and it was like, let's get some pizza. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember that, but um, I do know that, again, when you're recording, once you've done your part, you just you eat. just eat and you smoke and you drink and yeah. you just consume whatever's possible. Um, again, I think looking back, <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> let's, get, let's get a taco. <laughs> <laughs> looking back, we did okay. We had a good time. Yeah. After we did it and, you know, we moved on to Kitten Licks and Kitten Licks just eclipsed it, I mm-hmm. suppose. Yeah, for sure. It just became a part of history that I never kind of thought about. And I'm really pleased and happy to have revisited it. Oh, good. And um, I'm going to revisit it again wow. sooner. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the end of episode four. Thanks, everybody, for listening. It's been awesome doing these for you. You're either listening to this through our Patreon, if you jumped on board earlier and become a patron of the band, thank you, or you're listening to it a little bit later when it's out there in the world for everyone to listen to. Uh, The Patreon will always, I think for the foreseeable future, we'll keep running with it, right? I guess we will because when we get to the end of making these podcasts about our albums... We'll, we'll just talk keep going. about yeah yeah we do enjoy a chat 
We should probably like pick other albums of other people's um, from the period. And, and talk about us recording them. Yes, talk about what we would have done differently. <laughs> yeah, better. <laughs> uh, no. All right. Well, thanks, Cal, for your time. Thanks, And your, your band room under your house. No worries. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been the Ending Us Forever Screen Feeder Podcast. And from me, bye-bye. <laughs>